Hi everyone and welcome to the Glass Half Full podcast. I'm Andy Stevens. and I'm very pleased to be joined by Rob and Mark, two of the founders of Looseheads, a rugby clothing brand doing great work uh, in the mental health, and Elliot Blackmore, a teacher highly experienced in social, emotional, mental health care. Gents, uh, thank you very much for joining me. No so for, our, for our listeners, could you give us your elevator pitch, uh, your sport in history, your involvement in mental health? Uh, Rob, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So thank you for having us on. Firstly, um, I'm Rob. It's funny. I never know what to say about myself in these. <laughs> you know, when you do like a, a self evaluation day and you have to talk about yourself or talk yourself up, I never know what to say. But yeah, um, co-founder of Loose Heads alongside Mark and Dave um, played rugby or had a rugby ball by my side ever since I can remember, given both my parents one of which is on the screen with us now, are both rugby mad. Um, they even met at a rugby club bar. Um, and I guess linking in the rugby club bar, um, that's where Lucids was born. So um, it was born out of Wilmslow Rugby Club Bar. Um, it was it was me, my old man and Dave, and, and, and we'd all had mates that had, what we said is, is this, they struggled with a little bit of a life wobble. Um, and in some cases, it was it was worse than that. It was it was a diagnosable mental health problem. Um, but the one unifying thing was that we'd all we all felt that we couldn't do anything positive for those mates, other than say, "Do you fancy another beer, mate?" Which doesn't yeah, help yeah, yeah. for an hour, but it doesn't help. Um, so that impotent, impotence drove us to form what is now Lucids. Um, people ask why rugby. Rugby's a passion. It's a labour of love. Um, you know, we can eat, breathe, sleep, talk about um, rugby until the cows come home, but we're a duality between rugby and mental health. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks, that one. So, Mark, anything you want to add to that then about the uh, how it all started? Well, yourself first. Um, well, I'm, I'm considerably older than than Rob, as you can see. But I, <laughs> so I, I've had I've had a rugby ball by my side for a little bit longer. But I was born and bred in in rugby league, loving witness. Um, and grew up playing rugby, I, I don't know, probably from the age of nine, I was flung a high ball and um, and the sport we all love gripped me quite hard uh, and I've never really let it go. I, I left witnessed and went to Manchester University where I played um, for a couple of sides uh, in, in the junior leagues and then as oft before I went to London, um, played for Streatham and Croydon, um, played for Staines where I met my then girlfriend and now wife. Rob's mum, and moved back up to Wimslow 25 or so years ago. Um, been a member ever since. And and do you know what? I think I think looking back, the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday repeat for 35 years. Not only has it given me the memories I wouldn't swap with anyone, and no money could ever buy it, but it's it's looked after my mental state and my well-being more than I ever give it credit for. And I'm blessed with having um, friends who are lifelong friends, probably 40 of them. Some of them will help me fix my patio when it breaks. Some of them will come and repair my, my plumbing because they're crap plumbers. Um, but we all share one thing in common, and that's the, the sense of community built around rugby. And, and Rob said it all about loose heads. So it, was, it was the year that I decided to hang my boots up. Um, Let's not pretend that we all haven't got a bag packed in the garage and I'm no different. I, I replace the towel once a year. Um, and the, the only difference is now nobody asks me to play anymore. 
but, <laughs> but my legacy to rugby could not be just leaving and becoming an Alakadu. I, I, I was just minded of all those lads that I'd met over the years that had really struggled with the day in, the day out, the what life throws at them. Uh, and it just seemed to me that those of, those of whom were unlucky enough for it to grab them properly, there was nowhere really to go because the GP angle doesn't really work very well. The underfunded yeah. NHS, the great job that the NHS does, but underfunded. And I think that's a fact rather than a, an opinion. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and that, was what, that was what drove us then and what drives us now. Uh, right. And I think it's worth adding we've been humbled and blown away by the support we've got for loose heads, which was an idea at the end of a bar, like all great ideas. <laughs> That's where some of the best ones are built, aren't they? <laughs> oh, I've, I've been amazed. Whenever I'm out wearing the, the bobble hat or the, the shirt or whatever, the number of people who know straight away, they don't just think, oh, that's a rugby hat. Straight away, they know it's loose heads, which I think is, is awesome. You've done a great job. Elliot, follow that, mate. Timing. Right. So, um, so I'm an ex, well, I'm still trained uh, PE teacher. I'm not on the tools anymore as such, apart from my coaching. Uh, I'm currently working as a specialist teacher in social, emotional, mental health in uh, Kent. Um, I will, I'll, I'll talk briefly about sort of my rugby experience, but I, I was going to say to Rob, something I always do on training is if you, uh, when you, in, you, you sort of get people together and you try and uh, get them to introduce themselves, I always do the um, draw yourself a picture of the things you value the most. And it's really interesting because you've, Mark and Rob, you've just done it in your introductions without drawing the picture. And that I find that's quite a good activity. So I always try and introduce myself a bit like that. So obviously rugby is, um, is you know, our sport that is I'm very passionate about. I, um, I can't say I was ever a, a particularly outstanding player, um, but I worked for, um, for a few sort of different rugby clubs along the way, including... Um, my work for Saracens at the minute uh, in the DPP and uh, William Sonians, which is uh, an old boys rugby club for a grammar school. I work for Blackheath as well as their community rugby coach. And um, yeah, I think from my point of view, the, the main attraction to rugby was a number of things. It was things like the camaraderie that we get from playing with a team. I don't think, you know, for me, having played a few different sports, I don't think you get it quite the same as we get from rugby. Uh, especially when um, you know you're sort of uh, getting changed in a, a small changing room on a Saturday afternoon, you know, and then you're coming back and it's freezing cold, but you're all stood outside drinking jugs of beer and things like that. So, <laughs> you know, there's, there's I, I agree wholeheartedly with Mark as well because the memories you you just can't buy. Um, I went to university to train as a PE teacher. I went to Greenwich University and I was uh, fully involved in the. Uh, student union there as, as a rugby chairman for my last year and a rugby player for the four years I was there and um, yeah I, I don't think there is um, there is any sport like it you know I always say um, I went to the Lions tour in 2005 and I was in New Zealand at the time and I went and saw some of the games uh, and I uh, likened it to being part of a family you know you can walk into any rugby club all around the world people will shake hands offer you a pint or a drink or a schooner if it's in Australia and then you know welcome you with open arms but I definitely think that in this country although it's getting better what well, how I describe ourselves as a as a leaky rugby family because we're good 
but we we let sometimes you know we let some leaks out some people through the gaps and i think that's you know it's amazing to be on a phone call with with rob and mark because i just think that's what they're doing they're they're plugging that gap and it's yeah, uh, yeah absolutely yeah it's awesome but uh, do you want to just i mean obviously you work with the social emotional mental health do you want to just explain that a little bit yeah so i work within a borough so i work within a borough of uh kent it's Dartford and um, what my job is is specifically working with children who have social emotional mental health challenges or uh, disorders they can be developmental disorders like autism or ADHD and um, often when I'm allocated I'm allocated when they are um, schools are in crisis and someone needs to go in and really sort of support the schools to find a solution focused outcome um, to uh, these you know the children need an out a solution focused outcome ultimately that that's that outcome might be quite different yeah, every yeah. child is different absolutely um, but the aim is to yeah basically go in and support the schools to to help these children that are really finding things quite difficult cool. it's interesting you say about every kid being different i had um one of these twitter spats that was going around and people, this guy was calling people snowflakes mm. and i just thought yeah well, all kids are snowflakes because we're all different. Yeah. And that's my interpretation of it. You know, people think you're a snowflake because you melt too easy, but we're all completely different. You know, it's so important that we remember that. And what yeah, works for one person doesn't work for the next. Snowflake don't melt in the right environment, does it? Exactly that. Exactly yeah. that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Thanks, Elliot. Um, to just touch on, so the last 12 months, obviously, with the pandemic and everything, they've been particularly trying for a variety of reasons. So what can we do to help those around us? And how do we identify those that most need help? So Mark, as uh, the loose head slogan pops into my head, um, do you want to take this one first? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, it's a bit like you've just said, everybody's experiences um, of the last 12 months have been similar, but the different, but different all at the same time. I heard a lovely uh, analogy the other day that we're all in the same storm, we're just in different boats. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I, 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 for for three or three and a half years or so, we've been we've been we had we had the germ of an idea that, that grew and grew and grew, and the more we tested it, the more we felt we had to do this. And, and when lockdown struck, we it, it weirdly gave us the confidence to do things that we had hitherto in the world where we were free, so to speak, couldn't bring ourselves to do. Like we launched a podcast, um, we approached, and I say we, Rob did it, but we all followed and said, isn't that a good idea? And took reflective glory. But we approached people that we would never have approached before. And guess what? They, they said yes, because they're normal human beings with, with a heart. And, yeah. and one, just as an example, was was my ultimate rugby hero, which is Jonathan Davis, the, the original, and I would, I would uh, protest the best. Um, and Jiffy was was magnanimous to a T on our podcast in that he talked about his own experiences, his father dying quite young of cancer, his first wife dying of cancer, and all those things. And 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 the reality is, trying to find out you know how how we can help people in need. Um, 
I'm struck by a phrase I've, I, somebody gave me about six months ago, which I'm tr desperately trying to find out who gave it me. And, and in the absence of that, like Paul McCartney did when he wrote yesterday, I'll claim it as my own if no one else is going to claim it. <laughs> you, can't, you can't drink from an empty cup. So it's almost incumbent upon us all to develop some sort of mental fitness strategy, however peculiar that is for us. Yeah, yeah. But, but equally, there needs to be something available for us to get us on the right track. And that might sound like a contradiction and it's not meant to be. But, but and I speak quite personally, I, I, I know the triggers that, that, that mean I'm descending into some sort of, you know, in, into a bad place. I, I stop listening to music. Um, I stop planning my days. I stop getting some physical exercise because we all kind of know that relationship between getting a sweat on and feeling a bit better. Um, and, and yet, sometimes I need a gentle push in the right direction. And I, and I think that's what I'm in eternal search for. And that's, that's effectively what we try to do at Looseheads. We're trying to find a variety of ways where people can adopt their own mental health strategy. And it will be different for everybody. Yeah, I, I sometimes think of it as, it's almost like I was doing my first aid uh, refresher recently, and it's sort of like the triage thing when you walk into a room, and who do you treat first? It's like, is it the quiet one? Because they're, you know, they've got a serious issue. I mean, or maybe that's the same sort of thing. So, is it somebody you haven't heard from a from a while? Why haven't you heard from them? I mean, just dropping on a quick text, hello, mate. You know, and Rob, do you want to just sort of take it on from there a bit? I mean, how important is it just to ping out a simple message like that, just to encourage that kind of conversation? Yeah, spot on. There, we spoke about those mental fitness strategies that you can sort of work on to improve your mental health or your mental fitness. I think a big thing is checking in on your mates, um, your family members, your work colleagues, everyone like that. It goes a long way, like you say. You know, it's, it's asking twice. It's how are you? Yeah, fine. No, how are you really? Yeah. Um, connecting is, is so important. And, and over the past 12 months, like you say, with lockdown restrictions and, and, and all of that, COVID and this horrible virus, um, it's now more important than ever to, to just pick up the phone, whether that's phone call, a Zoom call like we're on right now, or you know our, our best friend, or or sometimes our worst enemy, Zoom. But um, or if it, you know it could just be a simple a simple text message. Um, another one of the things. So with uh, Lou said, we we push the the five ways to well-being, um, and what and another one of those is staying active. So it's just getting out the house for some exercise. And that doesn't mean you have to go for a 5, 10K run every day. It just means getting out, having a walk around, um, around the block, uh, clearing your head, clearing your mind, sticking a podcast in maybe, and, and just getting away from those everyday struggles. Yeah. Well, I found it was interesting. I've read, uh, I just recently finished reading the Ollie Ollerton uh, Battle Ready which is about his, you know, how he almost sort of descended into alcoholism and fought his way back to be quite a successful TV guy. And then also thought back to Ben Ryan and his Seven's Heaven. And the two things that struck me was the use of airplane mode. Just put that phone into airplane mode, wake up in the morning, leave it for at least half an hour. You know, because as soon as, first, I've done it myself, you know, I use my phone as an alarm. Um, but it's one of these weird ones. It's it's a quite interesting phone alarm actually. It gives you a half hour slot. And if it thinks you're asleep, it leaves you asleep. If it thinks you're awake, it wakes you up early. It's bizarre. Anyway, 
So that's it, but it's in airplane mode. So I'll, I'll leave it. I'll get up. I'll go make a cup of tea, or whatever. But I don't look at it because I used to flick it on straight away, and it's just all these alerts start coming up, and all this rubbish is just thrown at you instantly. Um, I think it's just clear. Just to get that space in your head first thing in the morning really helps as well. Um, Elliot, did you want to uh, jump in on anything there as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the same thing. You know, are you okay? And then you know, sort of coming back with that same question. But I think what what we probably um, we're, how we're changing as a sport, or, or maybe it's just as a as a group of humans in general that I come into contact with is that you know we're starting to think more about it, which is good because the profile's been there for, for you know plenty of years, but it is starting to become much more prominent, which is you know that's a positive thing, raising profiles and you know um, being able to ask that second question is is so important. But I suppose what I think what needs to happen before that is that people need to be aware of, you know, oh, that person's not been at training for two sessions, but normally they're here all the time. You know, like, I don't think that's necessarily um, automatic for some people. And I think, you know, we, we're changing. I think we're getting there. And I think that's a really positive point because um, I think, you know, so when I first started rugby, it was done in a very informal way because we didn't have such ease of communication and now we've got it, it makes it easier and um, I think maybe we're, we're turning a corner in a good way on yeah, that I think it's, yeah. you know we've got more people saying actually yeah I need to think about that person and, and less of the sort of um, you know like man up that type of horrendous snowflake <laughs> thing that gets you know, thrown around all the time Al Murray and uh, the pub landlord let's smack your hand on the table and shout snap out of it well yeah we spoke about that yesterday we did we? Know, yeah it works well doesn't it <laughs> you know it's just uh, yeah but I would I would say the other thing I often say to you know sort of people is it's not always just about um sort of that second question sometimes it can be actually that you're you're working with or you're working sorry you're, you're coaching a group of people and I'm thinking of you know a time when I worked at Blackheath um I did two rounds of a 16 to 18 year olds and that was quite hard uh, as you can imagine um yeah. but they were in a, they're in their own pathways themselves uh, and we had a couple of players that um you know that we we needed to think about what their behavior was telling us you know because actually their behavior was quite challenging and um when when it comes to that it you know it's very heavily linked to all sorts of stuff that that went on in the background and actually whilst we received quite a lot of their sort of uh, pushing um because we maintained a position and stayed with them uh, it meant that we were able to help them probably at a bit of a deeper level than than maybe someone that that didn't have that understanding and um I think someone gave me the advice once, which is if you're seeing someone in, you know, whether it be behaviourally sort of in crisis, whether they're acting differently to normal, um, you know, the question to ask yourself is, you know, would I behave, you know, once, once you find out the full picture, you know, would, would I behave in that way if, if I was in that position? And if the answer is yes, then, you know, you, you're, um, you're starting to really understand where they're coming from. I think often if so, and I wouldn't do that, you know, your, your empathy is, or your lens for mental health is maybe a little bit skewed. Yeah, I found it interesting um, when I did the, the very quick introduction sort of two-hour mental health awareness course. It ticked quite a few boxes for myself. Um, 
So I think it's, it's, I mean, we've all got mental health, whether it's good mental health, bad mental health. I think the initial thought that uh, a lot of people jump to subconsciously is you mention mental health and straight away they think negatively. You know, yeah. when you talk, you know, do you have mental health? Oh, don't talk to me about that. And people kind of shy into their shell. Um, so how can we go about, I mean, Robert, just come to you on this, and how can we go about sliding that kind of negative connotation to a more positive position? How do you think we could make that change or at least some change in the mindset yeah there's a real i mean there's a real stigma isn't there attached to the term mental health and when anybody hears, slogan. yeah yeah tackle the stigma is the slogan yeah and when anybody hears the term mental health they they sort of run for the hills don't they so like you said there the reality is we all have mental health bad mental health good mental health we all have mental health. anywhere from having a bad day to being suicidal and everything in between but that yeah. doesn't, you know, when you hear that someone say that they're struggling with mental health, that doesn't mean that they're, they're suicidal. It just means that they might be in a tough place um, at that very moment. Um, one, of those, one of those phrases is, is mental health is a process, not a destination. Um, yeah. Having a chat with probably a few months ago now, I was having a chat with someone and they said, oh, yeah, no, I, I don't have mental health. I sort of said, go back a step. <laughs> uh, we all we all have mental health you might have good mental health right now but it doesn't mean that down the line you might have bad mental health you still have mental health and it's all about education um and that's what we're trying to do at loose Eds, um tackling the stigma like you said before uh, normalizing the conversation and using rugby as as a vehicle to sort of drive that conversation as well um yeah you've got people like denny solomona coming out and and talking quite openly about his story and his journey with mental health, then people will listen to him because he's a role model. He's, you know, he's played for England. He plays for sale. He's, he's a guy that a lot of people look up to. So if he comes out and talks openly about it and educates people, then people will start to take notice and, and listen. Yeah, it's quite a powerful story, isn't it? When you get someone of like that, just openly talking about it. It's, yeah, it's phenomenal. I mean, Elliot, you mentioned earlier about um, ADHD and autism and things like that. I don't think, I'm not really sure that people kind of understand that that is a mental health. They almost see it as a difficult child syndrome. I mean, did you want to expand a bit on that as well? As to the- yeah, so obviously it's not a mental health condition. Um, it's a developmental disorder that's with the children all their lives. You know, it's not something that will just um, be fixed. And um, it's uh, it's a lifelong condition. It doesn't mean it's a it's a bad thing necessarily. Some of our most skilled um, well, some of our most skilled inventors and and famous people in this country have, um, you know, will identify as as autistic, um, and some will identify as dyslexic, and some will identify um, as ADHD. And um, I think our understanding is improving, but we're still, you know, we're still far far lower than we you know need to be when when it comes to any neurodiversity. We need to be much more further along in relation to our understanding you know you can still buy bleach tablets to treat autism online you know that in itself is disgusting and wrong and it shouldn't be um should be happening should it? shouldn't be happening but it no. is um you know so i think that there's uh, there's so many uh, debates to be had and a lot of the time it's all linked to or a lot of my work that i come across is linked to behavior uh, and sometimes people will um you know, we'll say things like, oh, you know, it's, um, 
is a bit it's an you, you can find people saying it's an excuse you know for rationalizing behavior and actually that's uh, if you look into any neuroscience or anything of um, of sort of peer-reviewed level that you'll you'll find that that's just not the case and uh, you know behavior runs at a much deeper level than than just purely sort of for the sake of it so um yeah i mean there's su substantial studies around autism specifically with girls and the impact that that has um diagnosis particularly around um, mental health when they're older and the impact that it can have on their mental health and and just knowing about their autism um can have you know improvements on mental health because they understand where they're coming from um i'm not an autistic person but i know that you know from my work i do a lot of work with the autism education trust or used to and um they're all about you know, sort of listening to the autistic person's point of view uh, and viewpoint so that we can match what we do to what they want, um, sure. which is a really good place to be. And um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's such a, a difficult, difficult situation uh, when it comes to having conversations with people around behaviour uh, specifically, and then you start to sort of... Uh, underneath that often you'll find there are other things you know the behavior is just the thing you noticing at the time a bit like an iceberg you know you see the bit at the top that you you're driving towards in your boat but you know you don't see the big monster of the iceberg underneath the water line absolutely it's interesting a couple of years ago i had a, a lad that i was coaching at the club and his mum had told him he was autistic and he didn't like eye contact and i kind of regret that because back in the day I, I was asked to keep it to myself so I, I knew what was going on and one of my co-coaches was like look, eye contact look at look me in the eye look me in the eye I know you're listening to me and I'm like no leave me alone you can just see this lad shrinking and shrinking and shrinking um so your know, communication is coming Mark how important is it that we have sort of clear and open two-way communication just to try and move these things along and help people out. I mean, we send that message out to say, you okay, mate? How important is it we sort of follow up and try and build that into an actual conversation and get them talking about what's going on? Hugely, hugely. I, 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 when we first, when we first um, came away from the end of that bar with the, with the germ of the idea that started developing, I um, rather serendipitously went to a, an open seminar run by a company called Team Mental Health, which is a couple of ladies who, uh, who were um, NHS consultant psychiatrists, uh, one in child psychiatry and the other attached to a mental institution. So they, they kind of knew their stuff. Um, and they decided that they, instead of treating the symptom, they wanted to get involved by addressing the cause. Uh, and they now run a company that they founded themselves. Um, and we had a fairly general and open conversation. Uh, and I, I told them sort of where we were thinking. And they said, well, hang on. You're not, you're not policemen and you're not doctors. Um, and if somebody presents with a diagnosable mental health issue, you, you've got no power to section anyone. So the, no. more you can, the more you can change the conversation to akin to a physical health issue, the better. And, and I thought long and hard about that. And to be fair, I still think long and hard about that. Um, and it was a kind of seminal moment for me. And, and, and I, look, I look at my rugby club, just getting it down to normal conversation levels for, for anyone who's, who's not, who's just listening, listening maybe a little passively. 
Um, at my rugby club, and it's the same the rugby clubs the world over, there's a first team coach, uh, there's a first team manager, two different people, yeah. there's a physio, there's a fixtures secretary, but there's not a mental health lead in that club. And yet, and yet most of the... Uh, Elliot talks about behaviour and sometimes that behaviour changes and it's a, it's, a, it's a deep well of ignorance, isn't it? Let's say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but sometimes the behaviour that, that, that changes, from you know, the first team winger who can't stop scoring suddenly can't catch. There's something else going on. And I think we need a better antenna than just dropping the first team winger. We need <laughs> something different. And, and I must say, finally, my, my, my comment on this is, I know that 20 years ago, um, had, had, I, had I been in my changing room next to my mates and I'd have leaned round to the guy on my left and said, you know that injury I had a few weeks ago and I sprained my ankle, it's still not really cleared up. I'm a bit worried. They would engage and say, oh, you need to try my physio or have you tried this? Or yeah, yeah. If I leaned to the guy on my right and said, do you know, I'm not really feeling the best and I haven't really felt the best for a few weeks now. I think 20 years ago, they'd have got up and walked out. And I think Elliot makes a good point. Those attitudes have uh, defrosted somewhat. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Rob, when, when Rob talks about Denny Salamona, what, what, a, what, a, what a thoroughly giving bloke Denny Salamona is. He's got a, you know, 20 years ago, if he'd have come out and said what he said, he'd be, he'd be sacked. But he's not. And we embrace it and we celebrate it. And that's exactly what we should do to make that conversation normal. And, and I'm a 54-year-old, yeah. broken-nosed, gnarled old rugby player with injuries to prove it. And, and yet, if it's OK for me to, to talk about it being OK not to be OK all the time, then maybe it's OK for the 17-year-old in the Colts who's just going through a tough time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I find it... I've come across that more and more now is working specifically in age group as a freelance coach. I mean, obviously when, when there's no pandemic on the doorstep, um, most of my working week is as a rugby coach. And um, the number of kids I come across and then the, the teachers give you the reports of oh, so-and-so's got this anxiety issue and that one's on this medication. It's it's quite worrying as to quite what they're going through that you would never know if you didn't have the information. It's quite, it's quite scary, really. I think, but as you say, the... It's defrosting. Those conversations are coming out, and I and it's all for the better. So, I mean, we talked touched, touched early on team sports and how good they are for camaraderie uh, as well as the active lifestyle. But one thing I think about sometimes: do team sports run the risk of increasing anxiety by the players not feeling adequate enough um, to play? And again, touching on, well, I spoke to Elliot about this as well. Is a coach at college, and I'm not going to mention any names because some of them might listen and they're bigger than me um, but, but it certainly fit them anyway and uh, we've got some lads that have just started playing and we've got other lads on the brink of academies I sometimes wonder who's going to suffer more because the lad has just started I mean he could just like yeah okay I'll go play snooker or go and play hockey or whatever but that lad who's teetering on the edge of getting into the London Irish Academy do they suddenly feel that once we go back, say we go back at the end of March to do some training, does he need to be at that level straight away? Is he going to worry about it? I mean, Elliot, as a DPP coach as well, did you want to kick that one off? Sort of thoughts around that? Yeah, I think it's worth saying that, um, you know, we all, 
we've all got an anxiety. You know, we, when we spoke yesterday, Absolutely. you know, we all we're anxious. You know, human behaviour, and and if you think about your basic level of um, of survival instincts, it's you know, it's, there's anxiety through through that. And if we weren't anxious, you know, we wouldn't be um, we wouldn't be surviving. You know, that's part of it. But the the challenges come when the anxiety becomes too much. And I think that the um, the point you're making is really valuable because what I've learned, I don't know if <clears throat> we'd all agree with this, but what I've definitely learned is it's not um, it's not specific. So you know, you can have an anxious person that's um, just started the sport, but is particularly under pressure from a parent to participate in the sport, mm-hmm. and is therefore anxious about letting the parent down. Or you've got the child that's hitting the you know the the top top ends of the you know sort of the the player development pathways and uh, they're they're now anxious about coming back <clears throat> and performing at the same level and you know I think that that's I think that's a valid anxiety if I'm honest I think that that player thinking will I um, be be able to perform within my team at that level is I think it's a really valid anxiety yeah. Um, the problem is, is when you start to worry about it constantly and, you know, you're worrying about it every minute of every day, that's, that's when there's a, there's a challenge, isn't there? In a, from a sort of mental health point of view, you're really starting to get into um, murky waters there because you need to be able to control that. And that's not something we can always do. We can't always rationalize it. You know, I, I work for, um, obviously it's a voluntary role, I work for Saracens DPP in Kent, and, um, you know, I, I've got to admit, it's, it's one of the hardest uh, things with lockdown that I've not been able to do. I love doing it. I love seeing the children and young people develop. Um, and I, I feel like you do get to know them. Um, and, um, you know, if I'm feeling like that and I'm just the coach, then they must be feeling the same, you know. And I think it's a really valid answer. If you look at development, or a really, really valid question. If you look at development in purely sort of a, a block basis of development, then they have missed out on some time, haven't they? Unless they're, mm-hmm. you know, sort of practising sort of closed skills indoors, which, you know, that's not going to help them for participating in team sports. Um, I suppose what I'm trying to say here is that, you know, anxiety is valid, but I think, you, you know, it's when it starts to get out of control that that, that then causes the problem. Um, you know, whether you are, we spoke about, um, obviously Stan Collymore's interview with uh, yes, Ed Morgan definitely. so long ago or a few years ago. And, um, you know, he talked about that and being able to talk about it openly. And, you know, and I suppose that's the key there is you've got a, a young person about to, you know, sort of transition into the London Irish Academy. They need to be able to say, actually, do you know what? I'm not, I'm not feeling hundred percent on this. Um, and there would have been a time when people would have shot that down. Oh, you know, just get on with it. You'd be fine. Don't worry about it. But that makes yeah. it worse. Yeah. You know, if you don't address the anxiety, it will pop out in other ways. You know, I always talk about it popping out in different sections of your, you know, sort of your personality. And, you know, I think that's yeah. the absolute key. You've just got to be there for them. And, and the players have got to know that you are there and you're going to be in a um, non-judgmental environment. That's that's one of the most important things there is that if they reach out to you and say, actually, you know, what, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. 
we're in a non-judgmental environment we'll listen and, and and find a solution if it's judgmental there, there's not going to be really be a solution no I mean, rob is there anything in the, the loose heads pipeline that might be able to build on top of this to try and help that sort of uh reduce yeah. anxiety levels just before um talking about that i just wanted to um add to what elliot was saying sorry my screen went back there because i that's right 20 percent battery you come back. <laughs> <laughs> um we we spoke to um i mean it's normal to feel those those nerves and, and a little bit of anxiety um we spoke to nolly waterman fairly recently and and she was new to commentary at the last six nations and, and one thing she said you know she said she was really nervous and she she, she felt that anxiety before like it was as close to playing a game as what she she said when she when she got on to to commentate and then you fast forward to to after the game and and she was being hounded on social media left right and center because she was female because she was new people don't like change and it was she said it was the first time in her playing career she didn't experience any social media trolling or anything like that and it was just the first time it happened to her and she went back and said, look, I wouldn't be put in that situation if people much higher than me didn't think that I was good enough for that role. And, yeah. and if I'm doing a good job, then I must be doing a good job. So it comes back to that. If that academy lad is feeling a bit stressed or feels a little bit nervous or anything, then if, if those coaches are putting you in those, um, those teams or anything like that, then you you are good enough to play, and you are good enough to be in that team. And it's sort of the, I saw the similarities in that when when you were sort of talking about that then, Elliot. Um, and then in terms of anything that we've got coming up, I think we we need to do a lot more with with academies. We've got that in the pipeline. Um, we, we, we've talked to a couple of academies. We've talked to Wasps and we've talked to Bristol. Um, we've just set up a so late twenty twenty. We set up a, a mental health panel. So um, it, it makes it, we make sure that we're talking about the right things uh, when it comes to mental health and mental fitness. And then we've also got an advisory panel now as well. So that's people, so former players and, and rugby personalities, people like Craig Doyle, Ugo Monia, Topsy Ojo. Um, and if these people have been through it all in the deep end and they've got those experiences that they can lend a hand to these academy guys or people at the start of their careers or even at the, at the end of their careers um ju- you know getting ready for life after rugby then we see a big advantage on on leaning on these people with those experiences um so that's something that's that's in the pipeline for for loose heads uh, in 2021 awesome not they're gonna say which part of 2021 yet we'll, yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that that'll be part two part two um, I mean, as our most experienced player, and I, when I say most experienced, I'm going to point out I'm older than you, so I'm not being ageist. Um, what advice would you give to players and coaches as we actually start to think about getting back? I mean, I know the players are going to start feeling anxious. I see posts all over social media of coaches stressing, we must do full contact all summer because we're going to be behind, ignoring the fact that every other rugby club in the country is in exactly the same position all those under 15s are going to be in exactly the same position come September. I mean, what advice would you give out to the player, and particularly to the coaches, I think, just to sort of try and manage 
potential anxiety, I suppose, is the, the way you want to look at it. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's uh, it's 12 months to the day that uh, Caroline Flack committed suicide, and, and she really she gave us a she gave us a gift, I think, which was a was a very simple phrase that I now attribute to her, which was, "In a world where you could be anything, be kind." Yeah. And, and my experience of, of the coaches that I've had over the years in rugby and at work and, and maybe the coach I've been, good and bad, was being, when, when I'm, when I, there's nothing quite like, however, however old we get and however gnarled we are, when a coach comes and puts their arm around you and tells you you've done a bloody good job. Not as a throwaway phrase, but they look you in the eye and tell you that. And that is kindness. Yeah. Rather than giving you a kicking when you've done something wrong. Because we know when we've done something wrong. We know when we drop the ball. We kind of don't need reminding. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and we, we've almost got ourselves, I think, as a world in an incredible rush. But we forgot where we were rushing to. And maybe specifically for the coaches out there, and I'm one, uh, not only at work, but, but also... Um, Rob, Rob may want to gloss over this, but I, I'd coached privileged enough to coach Rob at football and rugby. I'll leave him to say whether that was good or bad. But we, we grow as coaches and we don't have the answers, do we? But I think it, it's not about the result. The score will look after itself, as Bill Walsh famously said. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we just need to return to being kind because we're not getting the results we wanted by banging the drum about performance, performance, performance. Maybe... If we change the conversation to kindness, we might get people listening more. Yes, very much so. I mean, Rob, did you want to add something to that? I mean, you sort of piqued my conscious interest so much. As somebody who's coached my son since he was four years old, um, <laughs> and I love it. And he's, he's why I do what I do, essentially. He is, when somebody says to me, what is your coaching, why? And I just think of him straight away. Because um, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Well, how was it for you, Rob, as uh, being coached by your dad? I mean, is there, uh, I don't know, do you want to actually go into yeah. that conversation? Or is, is this the excuse you're going to say your battery's gone completely? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, I don't know if I've ever said this to my dad, but I, uh, yeah, I absolutely loved it. There was a few moments when I didn't love it um, because obviously being the coach's son, you do get that. You said there that you you were putting your arm around people and being kind, but obviously as the coach's son, you don't get that as much. Um, but that's just part and parcel of of being the coach's son. But I I loved it. Um, there was a moment when when every teenage boy has to pick football or rugby, and I <laughs> weird that I'm saying this, but I I actually chose football. So I chose football for one year and then okay. went back to. And I remember sitting down on the bed. Um, at home with my mum and dad and um, the, the, the time had come I'd, I'd left it weeks and weeks and weeks too late to decide football or rugby and I picked football and I said football and I saw the hurt and the, the sadness and, and everything in my not only not only my my dad's face but my mum's face as well <laughs> but yeah then then had the privilege to you know be coached by my dad in, in the rugby as well uh, a couple of years down the line so no, I absolutely loved it. Brilliant, brilliant. Appreciate that. Um, 
So is that a tear there, Mark? Is it? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> used, I used to say to the lads, just, just sorry, I have to comment on it. I, 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 it's all about being kind after. But in our, when a team came to Wimslow, I would drum, drum it into them from probably under sevens. Um, nobody comes here and goes away without a game. Nobody. Yeah. And when they got a bit older and the language becomes a bit more direct, it was all about, this is a sense of pride. And, and the, the thing that really, pride comes before a fall sometimes, but I was in one of the bars in Wimslow probably two or three years ago, Rob was out with his mates. And one of them, one of the quiet lads came up to me and said, do you remember those days before the matches, Mark? Do you remember those days when you'd rile us up and you'd say, nobody comes here? And then he'd swear a bit because I swore a bit. And, and it just made me think of, do you know, all the coaches I've had in my time, we, we become, we were a product of all of them, aren't we? Yeah. Um, and if we, and, and, and sometimes it's not about the results. If you get the preparation right and you put your arm around enough people, people will perform. There's good in all of us. There is good in all of us. The other thing there was, um, another thing that you used to say was days in the sun. Yeah. So there were, there were days in November, December, January where it would be slashing down with rain. And the, one of the funny things was that we'd train next to all the other teams and we wouldn't have a ball at our feet for football in our hands for rugby. We'd just be doing pyramids after pyramids, running, running, running. And all the other teams around us would have, you know, because they're teenage kids, they're, they're playing because they want to kick a football. They want to pass a rugby ball about. But not us. We were doing it to get fit. <laughs> and 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 he would join in and he would he would run as well with us and get fit with us. But it would all be because you're doing it for that day in the sun and you're yeah. doing it from what may when you're in the cup final. Awesome. Awesome. Um just appreciating how much of your time will take, like I say, Elliot, as a somebody who works in the field, did you want to signpost some extra resources out there for people who might yeah, I think it's worth just um, just mentioning that there are ab some absolute gems in that last sort of five minutes of conversation between Mark and, and Rob. And from a from a coaching point of view, if there are people listening in thinking, right, what am I going to take away from it? I was just writing some notes down. So that be kind thing is without a doubt, you know, it's become, you know, such a powerful thing for us to be able to really enable people to reflect on actually, uh, are you being kind, you know, and and not so long ago you it wouldn't be acceptable for you to say something like that and at points in the last year it's become a you know it's teetered on the edge of it not being acceptable now it's come back which is great uh, I always think about um if we're looking at from a mental health point of view environment is everything when you're working with young people children and young people from a coaching rugby point of view and I always say um outcome focused no talking about scores freedom to express and if you think about I think about my work at Gravesend. So my last club before Williamsonians was Gravesend. And I think that the team that I worked directly with there, that's we really, that was almost like everything about us. We had parties before the, the games in the change rooms. You know, anything the players said wanted, we did because we wanted to enable those players to fulfil their potential. And that environment needed that outcomes led, no talking about scores and freedom to express yourself. I would purposely, you know, people would say to me, what's the score? And I would say, oh, I don't know. And people would be like, oh, 
he doesn't do you know he doesn't know the score and i'll be like no i don't know the score and they go well it's but if you win today you win the league yeah i know but i don't know the score and people would get really angry like really <laughs> angry and i think sometimes that's what you have to remember when we go back to rugby is that it's a game that's really valuable like i you know i'm all of I was always about winning and, you know, making an impact and playing for my team. And, and I love the sport more than anything. You know, it's, it's the best sport in the world by far. It's my sport. So, but I think that there are a few things now that we really need to start focusing on. And, and one of them is that be kind. Yeah. I think there's a really amazing book, which I just run and got, which is the, uh, I don't know if you've. Seen oh, yes. The you know, I read this every night. I read really? this every night to my son and I think to myself, goodness me. I'm learning so much from reading this book. <laughs> and it's it The is. Boy, The Mole, The Fox and the Horse by Charlie um, McKay, I think his name is. Yeah. Um, and then just finally, I know that I've sort of gone off the subject slightly, but I'm just thinking about return to play. And I, I, I always use um, that uh, quote by, um, oh, I forgot his name. Wooden, John Wooden. Was it John Wooden? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, knowing the difference between a taught it and I le- and they learn it. You know, that's what we've got. When we get back, yeah, we've got absolutely. to drop that. I've taught it to them, but they're just not getting it. You know, think <laughs> differently. You know, how can we, as coaches, enable these children, young people, you know, adults like I'm working with adults. I'm, you know, we all are uh, from a rugby point of view specifically. But that's the thing, you know, because sometimes that screaming and shouting and sort of that telling them that they've not the ball on when, you know, you know that you've not the ball on. There's nothing worse than being at the back of a scrum, pushing the ball, you know, we're, we're driving towards the line and all of a sudden it slips out the back of your legs as a number eight. You know, it's a horrible feeling. Yeah. You know, it's done. The, 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 it's happened. There's nothing you can do about it apart from pick yourself up or hopefully teammate pick you up, slap you on the back and go, right, let's go again. You know, and I think that's, there's some really, I've just taken that from Rob and Mark's conversations, but that's where we've got to be when we return as coaches, you know, we've got to be there. So it's a good opportunity to start again. I found it interesting when, um, when Billy Burns came on last week and and he, he went for it, went for the corner, tried a bit hard, kicked the ball dead. And it seems, I mean, he was ripped to pieces on social media. I hate social media. And it's, it's just, it's not good. It seems to be the only people who didn't have a problem with him were his teammates. Yeah, yeah, they're all slapping on the back and hugging him and stuff like that. Is you say it's he knows what he did, and did it affect him at the start of this week's game when you watched that first kick? Probably, but then he settled in and unfortunately had to go off the HA. But and it's the Michael Jordan thing about the um, the team have trusted me to miss nine thousand shots and done this and that. The 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 circle of people is your teammates at that level. Yeah, and, and they're the only ones that matter. Yeah, Absolutely. I was I was delighted. I thought that, and he he did look a bit a bit. I don't deserve to be here in the very first minute and two and three and four. But then he soon settled in, didn't he? Yeah, yeah absolutely. He missed, he missed his first kick by a country mile. I thought I was kicking it at one point. <laughs> I thought I was a little closer on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that's a Mark and Rob. How can people get involved with Looseheads? Yeah, so we're uh, Looseheads with a Z on social media. We're Zed because we think we're quite cool. We're, we're not. The reality is we're not cool. <laughs> you are. <laughs> but no, give, give us a follow, check us out, join the movement and, and let's tackle the stigma. And how can people spread the word then? I mean, you've got a range of merchandise people can buy. 
Yeah. So the, on the website, looseheads.co.uk, um, buy a t-shirt and wear the, wear the posts with pride. Brilliant. So we, we'll put a link on the we see notes on the, the podcast episode. So we'll make sure we put a link in for that as well. Uh, Mark, did you want to jump on anything there as well? Anything else? Yeah, the, 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 the t-shirts, the t-shirts and the merchandise and uh, Hugo Monia called it a cool wear of street, a cool range of streetwear. If Hugo, Hugo says it. Hugo calls it a cool, wear, a cool range of streetwear. It's a cool range of streetwear. So when, so, are, the, when are the loose head Chelsea boots coming out then? <laughs> oh, well, you never know. <laughs> but we, we, the, the, the whole reason we've got that is 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 very early on. We recognised that um, to to do some of the initiatives we do through the foundation, through the charity we have, is uh, we need cash. Yeah. So we we've tried to make our our cool range of streetwear, cool enough and relevant enough for everybody, uh, accessible enough in terms of price. We don't take any drawings from this. This is a labour of love and always will be. Uh, and we take the profits from the sales and we put it straight into the, the foundation. I'm a gnarled old accountant and I know that if you put the money in, it's, it doesn't attract tax. And if you take it out, it doesn't attract tax either because it's a charity. Awesome. Um, so 100% of that, those, that money raised goes to doing the range of initiatives we will want to do. And one of them, just as, as Elliot mentioned it, is a programme we have with primary schools called Wellbeing Through Sport, where ir ir irrelevant of a child's sporting ability, uh, a trained coach will go into a primary school and run a, a small game. It does, it's not about the game. It's about how they feel about playing the game and the unfairness of sport sometimes. Awesome. And they'll try and rig the game to bring those feelings out. Because Elliot also raised something about it's, it's okay to have anxiety, but we need to get it out and we need to talk about it in order to know how to deal with it. And if you get that suppression, those things can come out later in a really bad way when you least expect it. So yeah. that yeah. primary school thing needs a cash and that's where the money from the T-shirts go. And we're unabashed about that. If, if somebody's got a choice between buying our T-shirt or buying Next or ASOS, or Boohoo's T-shirt, I would suggest they've got enough money. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a great kit as well, I have to say. I mean, I've got some stuff away in the bedroom at the moment. It's, it's really nice stuff as well. Um, gents, oh, thank you. I, I think that's a perfect place to pause the conversation. Appreciate I've taken up loads of your time. Um, I think you've all shown, even in these really difficult times, there's lots of opportunities we can help each other. Um, we can all be confident enough to reach out to people we haven't heard from, try and help each other, and also to reach out ourselves if we need help. I mean, if Denis Solomona can do it, I think uh, we're all in quite a safe place. Um, also, we'll put, so we'll put a link to the Lucet's website on the, the episode page. And I just want to say a huge thanks to you um, for joining us. Um, Rob, Mark, Elliot, really appreciate your time. Thank you very, very much for coming along. Brilliant having you on. And a huge thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, if you've got any comments or feedback, please do let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And um, we'll see you all on the next episode.